Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for for your word uh, that you've spoken and spoken with clarity and authority uh, and in uh, all truthfulness. Uh, we thank you for your apostles and prophets and pray that you'd use uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Romans to teach us, to build us up in the faith uh, that our confidence and hope and trust would be in you uh, and in your son. And I pray that you'd be uh, with us uh, by your spirit and that uh, you'd teach us and instruct us. So uh, it wouldn't be just the words of men, but uh, the very words of God. And so uh, we thank you for these things and pray that they be uh, to your glory. Uh, in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so back in Romans, and we'll be starting in chapter 5, and then what I want to do is do kind of a survey uh, through the rest of 5. Uh, we're going to move pretty quickly through there in chapter 6. Uh, and tonight, I, I really want to focus on chapter 7. Uh, so let's hold questions until we get to the beginning of 7, and then we can maybe... Uh, touch on some uh, if anyone has any but I really want to focus on seven and then when we're in seven that's going to raise a ton of questions but all the the central issues and questions that we can basically ask it's going to take going through at least the beginning of chapter eight to follow Paul's whole argument on uh, he'll hopefully help answer him along the way and then uh, we'll see if, if we make it into eight then we can uh, open up open it up for for discussion comments and such. So uh, in chapter 5, uh, we've been seeing the transition uh, where uh, Paul has argued and shown uh, the universal sinfulness and guilt and condemnation of all mankind, Jew and Gentile, and that justification is only by grace through faith in Christ uh, and in him alone. Uh, for, for Jew and Gentile. It's the, the same uh, for all. Uh, there is no distinction. And then here in chapter 5, after showing that, uh, illustrating from Abraham, and also David a bit, uh, illustrating that Abraham was one who believed and that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness even before he was circumcised. And that circumcision was, was a seal of this. He was a man of faith, uh, one who trusted and hoped in God here in chapter 5, he transitions uh, to show now that uh, we are justified, now that we have this state before God, what are all the benefits that flow from this? Uh, and how is it that we have hope? What, what's the hope and boast and confidence that we have in light of our justification? Uh, and he's going to treat that all the way through chapter 8. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he'll turn to the question of uh, Israel. Has, has God's word failed? No, it hasn't. He's going to show that it hasn't failed. And writing to this largely Gentile audience, but with proselytes, God-fearers, those who know the scriptures, uh, he has to work through these, these issues and, and some, uh, some uh, Jews too by uh, by birth. And so uh, here, uh, chapter 5, oh, jumped on me. Uh, 
here, let's, uh, he, he starts, uh, therefore, uh, at the very beginning of five, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so, having been justified, we now have peace with God, and we have access by faith or entrance into this grace in which we now stand. And so the same grace that justified is the grounds for for our hope. It's the grounds for all the blessings uh, and promises of salvation that will come to uh, come to us, uh, and everything flows from from here, uh, having been reconciled to God, uh, and now having peace with Him, uh, uh, having been justified. And He goes on to talk about how we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, uh, in the the coming future uh, glory, uh, the eschatological glory. Uh, when all of his promises are fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth, in the kingdom, uh, we rejoice in our present sufferings, and uh, we uh, we rejoice or boast uh, in in God. Uh, in verse uh, eleven, uh, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, uh, and it's his death. Uh, on our behalf, even while we were enemies, even while we were hostile against God, which has justified us, which has reconciled us to God, which has given us peace. And so now, how much more will we be saved from from the wrath to come? And so this is our future hope. Uh, This is what Paul is driving home, uh, the the benefits that flow uh, from uh, Christ's work uh, and uh, is received only by the empty hands of faith. It's a, it's a free gift uh, that we receive uh, from, from God all by his grace. Uh, and even that uh, is, is a gift, faith. And so now he transitions uh, for the rest of five, beginning in verse 12, and he's going to start with a comparison. He breaks off of it, but a comparison with this one man, Adam, Uh, the first head of all humanity, and that through him, sin came into the world, through sin, death, and then death spread to all men. And this, this was by this one man's unique sin. It wasn't that the others didn't sin. Uh, In fact, they walked in his ways. Uh, It's not, we were talking about uh, last couple times, our identification with Adam that Paul's treating here, it's not just imputation of his sin, but it's participation and identification uh, with, with him. Uh, it's, it's all of those things, and we're going to see uh, more of that uh, as, as well. And he's going to compare that th- this one man and show that now the one man, Jesus Christ, through him, the work the sin of Adam is undone. Uh, we're going to transition from the reign of sin, condemnation, and death spreading to all men, uh, to the old humanity, to the reign of grace, righteousness, and life spreading to a new humanity, culminating in the new heavens, the new earth, 
uh, an eternal reign of grace uh, and righteousness in, in life through, through the one man, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, you have the man from the earth, and then you have the man who comes from heaven uh, above, the, the God-man. So let's just read through uh, the first few verses just for review. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, And they did sin. They they walked uh, in his uh, very ways in solidarity uh, with him. He even explains this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So sin was in the world. You know, don't, uh, don't misunderstand that. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Uh, and as we discussed there, uh, it's not at all that people weren't guilty, but the law increases the trespass. Uh, there's a certain legal reckoning of sin that we're going to be seeing more as we work through this and in chapter 7 as well. Uh, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam, beginning of creation and and the first sin, to Moses, time of Sinai and the giving of the law, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So they sinned, but not in the exact same way Adam did. He's stressing the uniqueness of the one man with the first sin. And now he's broken off his comparison, but uh, they began in verse 12. uh, As sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. But he's going to get back uh, to that uh, in verse 18. Uh, But now uh, he he takes a pause since he's trying to explain things a bit about the the law and that they did sin and such, but Adam's sin was unique. Uh, Now, he pauses for a moment. He was going to compare the sin of the one man, Adam, to uh, the uh, the head of a new humanity, Jesus Christ. But now he doesn't want them to misunderstand. They're not exactly the same. Don't get get me wrong here. Uh, they're, They're not exactly the same. What Christ did was much greater and better. Uh, And so uh, let's just uh, read through this. Uh, He's going to give some contrast, how they're not the same before showing their similarity. So uh, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So on the one hand, you have uh, the, the, the trespass, and through his one trespass, many die. But here you have a, the grace of God and the free gift uh, that, that God gives through the one man, Jesus Christ, and it abounds to many. It's, it's not a trespass uh, that abounds uh, to many. So they're not the same. Uh, In verses uh, 16 and 17. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So at the one, one trespass, 
It brought just condemnation on him. He broke God's law. He broke God's word. Uh, those who followed him uh, walked, in, walked in his ways. It brought sin, guilt, and condemnation on humanity. And so he got the just sentence that he deserved, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What they didn't deserve uh, after all of this. For if, because of the one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, God's unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so, death reigning, now life is going to reign. Uh, well, not life, but he, he says uh, that those who receive the free gift and grace will reign in life uh, through the one man, Jesus Christ. A new humanity that will reign and rule over the new heavens, the new earth, uh, in a perfect righteousness uh, one, one day. And so now we get to the, uh, what Paul was beginning to do, to show uh, the similarity between the one man's trespass uh, and how how uh, Jesus Christ, the head of a new humanity, undoes his work, undoes the reign of sin, condemnation, and death, and replaces it with the reign of grace, righteousness, and life. So, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, course he's not a universalist uh, but uh, he's talking about two humanities two heads uh, two uh, a humanity and so as one trespass led to condemnation for all men uh, the the guilt and condemnation that came upon them so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men undoing the condemnation that was ours uh, that uh, that came upon us because of what uh, Adam did uh, and is his progeny walking in his way, uh, sharing in uh, his nature. Uh, and so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by uh, the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so, again, there, there are two acts. Uh, you have the, the trespass in the previous verse and one act of righteousness. And now you have one man's disobedience contrasted with Christ's obedience. Uh, one man's obedience. Uh, in, uh, now, uh, not talking about the condemnation and the justification in life, but uh, as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, undoing the work of Adam. And here, righteousness, as we'll be seeing more, sometimes righteousness can focus on uh, the righteousness of justification, uh, our, uh, our legal forensic righteousness uh, before God, uh, our legal standing uh, in Christ and uh, his righteousness, uh, imputed to our uh, account. Sometime, other times, 
righteousness can look to, you can talk about like the fruit of righteousness. Uh, the, the, the good works, the sanctification that comes from uh, our salvation and union uh, in uh, Christ. Uh, not the legal grounds or basis of our justification, but as we'll see, uh, and as you can read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and people like John the Baptist, Father Zechariah, and even like Simeon, looking for the hope of righteousness and one day when they would serve God in righteousness uh, in the kingdom. Uh, he is going to redeem his people and not only justify them, but sanctify them and glorify them and not leave them under the power and domination of sin. Uh, he doesn't just take away its condemnation and guilt and punishment, but the power of sin also uh, he will undo and he will ultimately glorify uh, his people. And so uh, now he turns to the law, uh, talking about this old reign and new reign. Uh, verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so now, with the entrance of sin and death through the first man, through Adam, spreading to all of humanity, uh, and they sin, they die, they fall under condemnation uh, and share uh, in his uh, they participate in his sin, and they share uh, in, his, uh, in his guilt. But now with the coming of the law at Sinai, the law came in to increase the trespass. That'd be quite shocking uh, to Jewish readers. In fact, throughout this thing, uh, he's going, uh, going back uh, to, or to, to at least many of them, uh, he's going back uh, showing, as uh, Craig Keener and, and others say, that we're descendants of Adam. They want to connect themselves to Abraham uh, and, and their, their election in him as, as his, uh, as his uh, descendants. But he's saying, by nature, Jews and Gentiles are all in Adam. They're identified with him. Uh, they participate in his sin. They share in his guilt. Uh, they share in his corruption. Uh, and now it's only through Christ where a new reign comes of grace and righteousness and, and life. And the law came to increase uh, the trespass. It actually, in some ways, it made it worse. It increased the trespass. And we'll be seeing that uh, in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7 by showing certain things sinners might get away with. You know, they, they might covet just fine and sear, sear their consciences. Not that it's not sinful. But when the law says, you shall not covet. And if you do, here's the penalty. Here's the consequence. You're guilty and you'll be punished. Suddenly, it becomes very stark and very clear. Uh, it shows us what covetousness is. Uh, and, uh, and for sinners, uh, it even entices them. Not that the law itself inherently entices but uh, sin, uh, sin uh, desires to sin. It desires to rebel 
uh, against God. Uh, our natural, human, mortal, fallen uh, natures in rebellion uh, against God. And so now the law now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. A uh, God's favor, uh, which which cannot be merited, uh, it cannot be earned. Uh, it's God's uh, God's very uh, favor. And a lot of times it's bound up with a gift, something that's free uh, from God. And so where sin increased with, with the law, uh, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, uh, dominating uh, over all of the world, uh, ruling over all of the world, it kind of personifies sin uh, as this uh, as this entity that's dominating and ruling over the entire world, over the entire human race, bringing death upon them. Uh, it's in control. Uh, it governs uh, things uh, in rebellion against God. Uh, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So grace also might reign through righteousness, uh, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And uh, God's grace, God's undeserved favor uh, on on sinners that he shows to sinners, uh, it reigns through righteousness. It exercises its rule through the righteousness uh, that comes uh, comes through through Christ, and we'll we'll see different aspects of it too, uh, as we've seen here at the beginning to to justify sinners, so that they're now reconciled to God. They now have peace, and all the blessings and benefits and promises of salvation flow flow from that. And will ultimately being inaugurated here uh, in this age, it'll be consummated, brought to its end, its fullness in uh, the age to come when Christ uh, returns. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, and he's going to get back here uh, in chapter chapter 8, and we're going to now see the implications uh, of the transition from this old reign of sin, condemnation, and death that came through Adam to uh, the reign of grace, righteousness, and life that comes through Jesus, the anointed, uh, the, the anointed uh, king, God's suffering and exalted servant who redeems uh, his people. And so uh, now in uh, chapter 6, Uh, we're going to see that, and uh, we'll, we'll touch on uh, some of these things, that Paul uh, is going to raise a couple rhetorical questions uh, because he wants to draw out the implications of this new reign of grace, righteousness, and life for uh, his, his readers uh, here and now uh, in, in, their, in their lives and uh, with, uh, in their present suffering, uh, in, uh, in their struggle with sin, uh, in their hope 
uh, of uh, eternal life. Uh, and what he has just said, uh, he, he, he both wants to exhort them and draw out some implications, but what he said can be misunderstood, uh, it can be misapplied, and uh, there were uh, opponents of his uh, when he'd evangelize and such, uh, often with the Jewish people, uh, that would misunderstand uh, and even misapply what Paul uh, was uh, saying. And so, uh, just to s uh, start, uh, he, he asked the first question in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to sin that grace may abound? Well, he just said, with the coming of the law, uh, sin, it increased trespassing, increased sin, but where sin increased with the entrance of the law, grace abounded all the more. And so, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. May it never be. Uh, he's expressing a, a wish. May it not happen. May it not come to pass. Uh, this is not how we should think. It's a completely turning grace uh, on its head. Uh, it's, a, it's a complete failure to understand grace and all that it accomplishes. Uh, it's not license to sin. A grace that justifies will also sanctify and glorify. Uh, it frees from not just the, the condemnation of sin so that we can live lawlessly uh, and, and uh, now we can just live it up uh, and go, go sin all the, all the more. No, but now uh, it actually frees uh, from, from sin. Uh, and it gives us life. Where we only had death, it gives us life. And so we're going to see that uh, contrast. Uh, hi, Nancy. Oh, hi. Welcome. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, and so uh, here he's, he's going to show uh, that you died with Christ so that we might now live uh, with him. We're, we're identified with uh, Christ's death uh, in his crucifixion, uh, bringing an end to the reign of sin and condemnation and death, to bring the reign of grace, righteousness, and life so that we might, we might live. Uh, so uh, what shall we say, say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so baptism, uh, this picture of being identified and united with Christ in his death. Uh, his death is our death. And so that his, his resurrection becomes our resurrection uh, and, and our life. Uh, God considers his death as our death. Uh, and so... Uh, we're, we're dead uh, to sin. Until uh, so verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's the purpose. That's the reason why we were baptized into his death, why we were identified with his 
uh, death. Uh, it was uh, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's the very first fruits of new life uh, in Christ. And it's not, we're not perfected yet. We don't have the fullness. But in our sanctification, we now uh, begin to walk as those who've been raised from the dead, as those who have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, and one day will be glorified in resurrected bodies after the image and likeness of Christ. Uh, and so uh, this, uh, this is the purpose why we became sharers in Christ's death and were identified and united with him so that we might walk in newness of life. And we'll see these contrasts. That was then. This is now. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't continue in sin or go on sinning so that grace Grace may abound. It's a failure to understand God's grace, God's favor and salvation uh, in uh, his, his son. It's to give us life. Uh, and then uh, verses five, uh, five through six. Uh, he goes on to, to explain uh, more, uh, expand on this, uh, that we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. We have died with Christ so that we might live with him so that we might walk in newness of life. Uh, and now, uh, the, the hope that uh, if we've been united in a death like his, we'll be united in a resurrection like his. When, when God glorifies us, when he comes, uh, comes again, uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, our mortal, sinful, human natures, in the likeness of the first man, uh, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so these contrasts, Christ's work, it not only were, where we lived in death, spiritual death, it gives us life, and where we were enslaved to sin, it sets us free uh, from, from the power of sin, from the rule and dominion of sin. Shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. We died to that. We were freed from that. Uh, may it never be. Uh, and let's just read through uh, verses 8 through 9. Uh, and I, I really want to Focus now on 11 and 12, where we get to his uh, conclusion. Uh, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So if we've died with him, we believe that we will one day live with him in glory. Uh, we, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He's at the right hand of God. He's in his glorified, resurrected body. He died once for all to justify those who draw near uh, to him through faith, as the author of Hebrews says. is a once-for-all death. He paid the penalty of the sin, condemnation, and death that came through the first man. And so, uh, uh, he'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's broken its power, its reign, its rule, uh, and he lives forevermore. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God uh, for forevermore. He paid the penalty once for all. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is his point. Uh, uh, this is exhortational in what comes before. You see all these fours. Uh, explaining, supporting, motivating, saying, you died with Christ so that you might live with him. You were freed from sin in Christ. Uh, and so you might, you might live in freedom and be free from sin, from its power and dominion. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, just like Christ, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, and let's see, verse 12. Oh, my screen was doing something a little goofy, although it's my fault, so I won't blame the screen. Uh, and now it doesn't have this in the ESV, but there's a therefore. Uh, therefore, let not, or no, they do have it. Let, <laughs> just came a little there. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so, therefore, you want to watch for, for things like that or where you see the word for. Uh, usually in the ESV, uh, Bibles like the, the SV, uh, usually four will be appropriately uh, translated. Once in a while they might miss it. helps to read a couple different translations, but it, it somehow supports or strengthens what comes before. And so it's not that it's not important, but it's not necessarily the main point because it's supporting, uh, it's supporting something. It might be very important, but it's playing uh, a supporting role in Sometimes if he wants them to understand something, it might be giving an explanation of what he just said so that they understand what he just said. Uh, maybe in his argument, he might be giving a reason, a logical basis for, uh, for what he just uh, said. Uh, or sometimes when he's exhorting, like, like here, uh, he, might, uh, he might be giving motivation to understand and receive uh, these exhortations. 
uh, that he's given. To, to, not, to not continue in sin uh, that grace may abound. You died with Christ. You, you live with him. Uh, you were enslaved to sin, but now in Christ you've been set free. And so uh, he'll, uh, he'll give motivational material, maybe warnings, maybe showing that God empowers us uh, to, uh, to uh, walk in these exhortations and, and such. Uh, Nancy, you had a question. Is this way, um, like that book, Blossom and Me, gets the sinless perfection stuff? Is oh, this, is this yeah, some, some of these places, I think especially we'll see as we get into chapter uh, 8, uh, he'll draw from, uh, from some of those things. In, in chapter 7, too, uh, with the uh, contrast between uh, the flesh and the mind. So we, we can uh, talk about uh, some of those uh, things. Also, since I don't know how far we're, we're going to get tonight, and we do, uh, we do have uh, next, uh, next week. Uh, we have uh, holidays uh, coming up. Uh, but we have next week. Uh, if, if you have uh, questions or comments, uh, feel, feel free to, uh, to chime in, and we can uh, spend some more time uh, next week on help, help give a basis and work through chapter uh, seven and uh, some of eight and, and uh, wrap up uh, Paul and the law. Uh, and so here, given the, these, this exhortation, it all culminates, you know, to his big point. Therefore, uh, let not sin reign in your mortal body uh, to make you obey its passions. Uh, a lot of times when he talks about the, uh, the flesh, the flesh sometimes can just be bound up uh, with mortal humanity. Uh, uh, sometimes that uh, humans, humans die, and it might not even necessarily have uh, a, a moral uh, or ethical aspect uh, to it, uh, that there is something evil uh, or, or such, but sometimes it can be bound up more with uh, mortal, our mortal, mortal nature uh, after, uh, after the, the fall. Uh, but uh, the flesh can also uh, be bound up, and we'll, we'll see this a uh, lot with Paul. Uh, uh, here, talk, talking about the, the mortal, uh, mortal body, uh, our sinful, fallen humanity uh, with all of its uh, sinful, sinful passions uh, that, that we have. And so here, uh, uh, therefore, let not sin reign uh, in your mortal, mortal body. You've died with Christ. You've been set free from sin, from death uh, in him. Uh, let not sin, therefore, reign uh, in your mor mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And so uh, the negative, uh, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And now, Instruments kind of makes you think of, of parts, but the parts uh, belong and, and form uh, a greater a greater whole, uh, even the, the the whole man. Uh, and so, it, it's not just necessarily a matter of uh, don't don't you don't sin with your arms, don't sin with your feet, although that's true. You know, Jesus says uh, if you're your uh, hand causes you a sin, 
cut it off and cast it away. Although, it's a little hyperbolic because it's not the physical hand that's the, that's the problem. It's the, the inner man. It's the, the attitudes of the heart, our sinful passions. But uh, the, the parts forming the, the whole person are, you know, the controller our mind, our, our attitudes, our desires, the, the inner person, the, the outer person, uh, our, our fallen uh, human, uh, human natures. Uh, do not present your members uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves, see, yourselves, uh, to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Uh, and the big point, uh, counterpoint point, uh, the negative, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This is what you don't do. Here's what you should do. Uh, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, uh, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, to, to serve God. This is a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, he'll even uh, say that when he gets to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 12, uh, saying, uh, therefore, uh, by, the, by the mercies of God, uh, present your, yourselves as a, a living uh, and holy sacrifice to, uh, to God, uh, to serve him, uh, to be uh, consecrated to him. Uh, something or someone who's been devoted and, and offered uh, to, uh, to God on, on his altar. But uh, we, we don't do it by, uh, by a physical sacrifice of like an animal, but we're now set apart to, uh, to, to God. And so uh, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And for, it supports what he, he just said, for these exhortations to offer yourselves uh, to, to God. On uh, reason for that, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Uh, there's a, a new reign, instead of the reign of sin and death, uh, the reign of grace uh, in life, grace, righteousness uh, in life, uh, through, through Christ. Uh, and so, uh, first, shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Uh, some slanderously say that we, we preach. Uh, he says that uh, earlier in uh, chapter, chapter 3, uh, that we, you know, Paul, you're basically saying, hey, sin it up, you know, live, live it up, uh, because we're under grace anyway. We, we don't have to, we're not under the law, uh, you know, we don't have to keep, keep that. So, you know, sin it up, live it up, Paul. Uh, but this raises another question. Uh, he keeps saying things like, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Well, we're not under law. Uh, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. May it never be. I mean, if, if we're... If we're uh, under grace and no longer under law, we're antinomians, aren't we? We're lawless. We've been cut free. 
there's no law to govern how we how we live. Uh, we 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 can do whatever we want. You know, uh, let's just follow our sinful desires wherever they uh, they lead us. We're not we're not under law. Uh, Paul, you, you antinomian. What's going on there? Uh, there's a reason why you know people. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, people sometimes and Paul says things like this, and sometimes people are surprised when you're talking about. He's talking here, of course, as law covenant. He's not throwing the whole Torah out as scripture, uh, as we'll, we'll see more and we've, we've talked about. Uh, but as law covenant that brought sin or that brought uh, condemnation and a curse upon them in the penalty and punishment of death, we've been set free from that. We're not under uh, the law uh, any, anymore. And so Paul says these things that make people think, are you an antinomian, Paul? You're against the law. Uh, in some respect, uh, as far as uh, we'll see more in chapter 7, as far as law covenant that brought a curse and condemnation and death upon us, he is in a sense. Not that the law itself was unrighteousness. We'll see it, it was uh, holy, righteous, and good. Even as law covenant. Uh, it's, sin, it's sin that's really the, the problem. But it couldn't justify, it couldn't sanctify, uh, indeed it couldn't glorify sinners and so uh, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace may it never be Uh, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness and here he's going to focus more before he was focusing more on, uh, we see this issue of sin. You know, how do we think about sin now that, uh, that grace abounded all the more, even with the coming of the law and the increase of sin and uh, trespass of sinners, uh, and then no longer being under the law, but under the reign of uh, as law covenant, but a grace and righteousness in life. How are we to think about sin uh, and about the law? Does it free us to sin? Uh, and he's arguing, of course not. Uh, and here, in the previous one, he, he's focused a little more on death and life. Uh, here, he's talking about the, the slavery uh, even more that, that we've been uh, set free from. Uh, and we're going to see uh, that you're either, you're either a, you serve someone. Someone uh, is your, your master, uh, as... Uh, so I said in our youth Bible study, a uh, famous guy uh, named uh, Rich uh, in our church. Maybe you've met uh, Rich. Uh, quite an even more famous guy, uh, Bob Dylan, saying, you've got to serve somebody. <laughs> he has a song. You know, it's true. You're going to serve someone. Someone's going to be, uh, be your, your master. And we're going to see. Uh, it's either sin that you'll serve, which leads to death. Or you'll serve righteousness uh, or, or uh, obedience leading to righteousness, uh, righteousness leading to sanctification, uh, and sanctification leading to life. Uh, serving, he's going to use three things, obedience, serving obedience, righteousness, and God. And you can kind of use them, uh, use them uh, connected uh, to one another. Ultimately, uh, you're serving, uh, you're serving God, uh, and we're going to see 
it's a it's a free gift. It's all by uh, all by uh, grace, uh, in which uh, he makes his uh, his people uh, through by grace through faith. Uh, he'll grow them in in obedience, on sanctification, uh, and ultimately in their glorification, uh, when uh, one day uh, the they'll be conformed to the very likeness of, of Christ and, and never a sin again. So, uh, verse 16, or uh, verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to to righteousness. And we're going to see, he's going to explain this. Death, I mean, with sin, it'll lead to ultimate death. Uh, if, if you live in unrepentant sin, uh, in, in unbelief, in rebellion against God, eventually that will lead to, to death in this life and ultimately eternal death uh, in the uh, in the, the lake of fire. But then, uh, here talking about, uh, you, you're going to serve someone, uh, you, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Uh, and here, he'll unpack it more, uh, but uh, obedience leading to righteousness, uh, we're going to see, has to do uh, not with the righteousness as the legal grounds and basis of our justification, uh, which is already uh, com complete. Now, we saw that at the beginning of chapter 5 of this section. Now, the benefits of salvation flow from our election and union with Christ and our, our justification by grace through faith. But this uh, obedience, uh, which leads to righteousness, it's the fruit of righteousness. Uh, it's, it, this is progressive uh, sanctification. Uh, it's the fruit of righteousness. Uh, it's the practical outworking of our faith uh, in Christ. Uh, for we are his workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. Uh, and uh, elsewhere, uh, Paul says things like uh, that uh, Christ uh, saved us uh, so that uh, or saved a, a people who would be zealous for, for good good works. I was just reading a book uh, by uh, uh, Tim Challies who is uh, drawing on, on some of those uh, passages. And so just read the, the next sentence uh, or leading into it. Uh, you are slaves of the one whom you obey uh, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, uh, or in, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And so there's this, uh, this freedom. Uh, but thanks be to God that, and this, uh, that was then, this is now. Uh, we keep seeing this contrast between the past uh, and the, the, the present. Their old lives uh, and their, uh, their new lives. Yeah, Dan. Coming from the Catholic you know, background that 
the infused righteousness mm -hmm. versus the imputed righteousness. So in other yeah, words, yeah. the righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. Correct. But this is what we're talking about here is is work that justification that's occurred in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. We're now working on creating a righteousness based on Christ's righteousness, but it's, it's actually in our good works. It's being conformed to his likeness and, and image. Uh, we're God in the new covenant, and we'll be looking at that probably uh, next week, and we'll be able to look a, a bit more because we'll, we'll have time to do so. But in Jeremiah 31, 32, uh, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, uh, places like that, where he talks about, I'll forgive their sins and remember them no more. But also, I'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Uh, I'll put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my, my statutes. Uh, and he, he even uses, uh, we'll be seeing uh, terminology uh, that, uh, that he'll be uh, using, talking about statutes and commandments and, uh, and uh, even uh, like decrees uh, and, and such. Uh, and so this is the outworking of new life uh, in Christ, of freedom uh, in Christ, who now dwells uh, in his people, in their midst, uh, through his, uh, his spirit uh, to, uh, to give them life and, and freedom uh, and, uh, and to, to grow in, uh, in faith and, and obedience. And so this is a life that has had a supernatural faith implanted uh, in it uh, that now uh, believes God, uh, trusts in him, uh, and, uh, and, and re responds uh, to that, uh, which will ultimately, it's not perfected in this life, but with glorification uh, in the, the life to come, uh, you'll be perfected. And this righteousness, all righteousness, uh, all sometimes righteousness, uh, we probably don't use as much in English. Sometimes righteousness uh, is used uh, in Greek and uh, in like the Old Testament and Isaiah and such and New Testament as well for like a saving righteousness. Uh, God's saving righteousness by which he saves his people. And so all saving righteousness, uh, all of the blessings and promises of salvation, justification, uh, sanctification, glorification. Uh, we can talk about election, adoption. Uh, all of these things are all from Christ. Uh, and this is a righteousness that's uh, from Christ, but it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a legal basis or grounds. Uh, when we talk about the imputed righteousness by which uh, we're legally declared a just, uh, before uh, before God, a uh, uh, once for all uh, act at the beginning of time. Uh, you can talk later about. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about, and kind of like at the end of Abraham's life, a vindication where one's faith is shown to be genuine. Uh, that uh, Abraham truly trusted uh, trusted God, uh, but that is a righteousness uh, that is imputed or credited. Uh, to one's account. And so it's not that uh, it's, it's a legal transaction uh, and it's not that one 
is made objectively, inherently uh, righteous, having never ever sinned before and obeyed God perfectly, uh, obeyed everything he said and never disobeyed uh, anything he, he said or demanded. Uh, as Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 4, he, he justifies the ungodly. Those are, he justifies the, the ungodly. He justifies the unrighteous, which is I- ironic uh, because in, in Christ, his righteousness is credited to them uh, so that God can be both just and justifier of the one who has faith uh, in Christ Jesus. But it's not, uh, not, not uh, inherently that they've legally kept, uh, never dis- disobeyed. Uh, and so uh, in Roman Catholic theology, infused righteousness uh, with your baptism, you enter into a state of grace. So if you died on the spot, uh, you'd go to heaven. But people sin, uh, and uh, as, they, uh, as they sin, uh, if they have a mortal sin and that's not forgiven, they'll go to hell. Uh, but if they have a temporal or venial uh, sin, I, I believe the terminology is uh, that might be worked off in purgatory after all the sacraments, after, uh, after uh, indulgences, after uh, prayers to Mary and all of the, the saints and the treasury of merit, uh, of all, all their excess merit and such. Uh, and so one has to be infused with righteousness until you come to the legal point. You're, you're objectively fully righteous, and so now you're justified uh, before uh, before a God. And your righteousness, you become progressively justified then, or unjustified. Uh, and you can go you can go back and forth. You can uh, you can lose it, uh, and so. Uh, that's where you have to understand justification and sanctification must never be utterly severed. Uh, where uh, there's some theology where uh, sometimes they call it free grace, which is really uh, not accurate at all uh, because uh, it's, it's a, a grace that doesn't save. Uh, it's a grace that doesn't sanctify it's a grace uh, that uh, some call it cheap grace uh, where, okay, you gave mental assent, your ticket's punched, you're going to heaven. You know, go, go live like a devil uh, the rest of your life. We don't recommend that you do, but uh, you're, on your way to, you're on your way to heaven. You got your ticket punched, uh, you've, you've got it stamped, uh, and you're, that's it, you know. In uh, uh, that that's a theology that doesn't know the word repentance. Uh, they don't know that repentance and faith is a gift of God, a freely given, uh, and that by the Spirit, he grants repentance, he grants faith, uh, he, uh, he'll justify his people, he'll sanctify them, he'll glorify them, although not perfect in this life, uh, but throughout, throughout life, uh, one, there will be a uh, tra- trajectory uh, over over time of of, of growth uh, over 
uh, over time throughout one's uh, throughout one's uh, life. Uh, not uh, not not perfection though by uh, by uh, any any means. And so uh, when you talk about infused righteousness, that's dealing with uh, uh, talking about like the legal basis uh, for one's justification and right standing uh, before God, uh, but. Uh, and there, you know, uh, we believe biblically in, in an imputed righteousness where it's reckoned, credited to their account. It's a legal uh, transaction. It's not that they, it's not that they inherently, suddenly never sinned or never dis, disobeyed, but Christ stood uh, in their place and they've been identified uh, and united with him. So God reckons his death is their death and uh, his uh, righteousness and life as their righteousness and, and life. And so, yeah, that's a very, uh, very important, uh, important distinction. That's also why it's important to understand how righteousness can be used in different contexts. And even when we talk about the law as law covenant, Christ bore the curse. He kept the law covenant perfectly. Uh, he bore our curse. Our sin was reckoned to him his righteousness to us. But we see uh, the law or Torah as like theological motif, these themes and ideas, uh, a lot of them really grounded deeply in the, in the, the new covenant uh, where we'll see the law of the spirit of life who, who will, who will uh, bring out a practical or the fruit of righteousness uh, in his people and grant that uh, more and more uh, they can Obey God, they can be well-pleasing uh, to God as they uh, trust and walk in faith and walk, uh, walk with, uh, with God uh, in, in new life uh, in, uh, in Christ. Uh, and then uh, also looking at uh, the law or Torah, uh, Paul wholeheartedly reappropriates it as uh, the law, as scripture, as wisdom, as prophecy. And we'll, we'll see that too, where uh, he'll talk about uh, the even there's kind of a righteous standard uh, or uh, moral uh, teaching and demand uh, in uh, the Torah, uh, in the scripture, not as law covenant that brings a curse, but you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And now by the spirit, now we can begin to uh, to. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, uh, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Now, far from completely in this this life, but uh, but truly, and, and more, uh, more, and, and more by uh, by His His grace. And so you can see these different aspects of law, Torah, uh, of righteousness. Uh, and as we read carefully, uh, we should be able to see those distinctions. Uh, and that will help too, because uh, if we don't understand them, that can lead to theological error if the word righteousness only and always everywhere has to do only with one's legal justification before God. We'll get in big, big, big trouble. Uh, that, that was uh, in, uh, in the past. And so let, let's read through these verses again, and then uh, we'll read through the, the last part. Uh, starting in verse 15. 
Uh, what then are we to sin? Because we are not, not under law, but under grace. Does that, you know, does that free us to, to just uh, live in sin? As the antinomians doesn't understand grace. Uh, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching uh, to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Sometimes he puts it black and white. That was then, this is now. You're slaves of righteousness and obedience. Well, we'll see. There is still a struggle with, with sin. Uh, but sometimes he'll be a little more black and white to make his point, and uh, then he'll, uh, he'll make qualifications uh, later. But have become obedient from the heart to the standard of uh, teaching uh, to which you were committed. And this is the righteousness. Uh, and certainly, in the, the gospel, uh, the implications, uh, the obedience of faith, uh, they call them to repentance and faith, uh, to believe in, uh, in, in the gospel, uh, that, that all saving righteousness, all, all the blessings and promises of salvation are only in Christ, justification, sanctification, glorification. And how now shall we live in light of our calling, uh, in light of what God has done for us in Christ uh, to justify us, to reconcile us to himself, uh, to free us from the power and rule of sin uh, and to give us life in his son. How should we now live? Uh, these are the things that, uh, that Paul and the apostles uh, would teach. Uh, and this is the standard of teaching to which uh, they were committed. Uh, and uh, in, in the Greek text, it, it, it's really to which they were handed. And it often has uh, to do with tradition, but they themselves were entrusted to this uh, pattern of teaching. Uh, kind of, I think, with the Ephesian elders, now I commend you to the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. It says things like that uh, to Timothy. He gives them, entrusts them to God's word uh, to teach them uh, and uh, in the, the gospel uh, that they taught uh, and preached uh, in the, the churches. And so the righteousness that came before, uh, when he talks about being slaves, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness, here it's this, it's this standard of, uh, of teaching. And so it's not, uh, it's not a ultimate necessarily uh, legal righteousness or something, but it's the standard of, of teaching uh, to which they're, uh, they're committed uh, in growing in obedience. Uh, and so, uh, in having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms uh, because of your natural limitations. Uh, and uh, really, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking... Uh, Humanly, you know, in a human way, in humanly terms, uh, because of the weakness of your flesh, um, may have to do with their uh, their their weakness in humanity, but also their their struggle with uh, with 
sin uh, and uh, such. Uh, and so, kind of has a little parenthetical statement, and he'll kind of explain uh, more. For, uh, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Again, their members, their, their parts uh, that belong to their, uh, their, their person. On that was then, this is now. Uh, just as you once present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. To obedience, leading to righteousness. To righteousness, leading to sanctification. Uh, Peter says similar things. I think it's in First Peter chapter 1. Could be in uh, Second Peter. We just kind of saying things like that, Paul too, and uh, chapter 5, talking about we rejoice uh, in our sufferings, knowing that suffering uh, produces character, uh, and character uh, produces, I think I'm missing one, uh, character uh, produces endurance, and endurance pr- produces hope, and hope does not disappoint, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, uh, through what? Christ has done. And uh, Peter says, with God's empowerment, if you continue in these things, uh, then uh, they, they, they have confidence and faith and trust uh, in, uh, in God, uh, spurring them, spurring them uh, on uh, because of uh, God's uh, salvation and his defi- divine power uh, has, uh, has uh, saved them and empowered them for these things. So uh, slaves to obedience leading to righteousness, to righteousness leading to sanctification, consecration to God, being devoted to him. Uh, and there can be moral aspects, but being consecrated to, to God, to serve him as his holy and righteous people, uh, like the vessels, the holy vessels in the temple were there to serve God. Uh, the, the holy priests were there to serve God. And so, uh, by being slaves to obedience, leading to righteousness, and to righteousness leading to consecration, and we'll see this uh, consecration or holiness leading ultimately to life. Uh, Author of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, uh, because it's a work of God that he produces in his people uh, by uh, his Holy Spirit. And so, uh, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. No, we, we shall not sin because we're not under law, but under grace. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So for when you were slaves of sin... Motivating them, motivating, showing them to, pre- to present themselves as slaves to righteousness leading to life. Just showing. Remember, think back to your old lives. Think back before Christ saved you. For when you were slaves of sin, when sin ruled over you, when it was dominated you, when it was in control over your life, and it was your master, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
Righteousness wasn't ruling over you. Not at all. You, 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 were, you were a slave uh, to sin, uh, and righteousness wasn't your master. You didn't answer to righteousness. You didn't live for righteousness. You were free from it. It wasn't your master. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Thinking back on, on their, their old lives and all the sin uh, and wickedness and evil that they, they would live in, to even think it, it, it's filthy, it's disgusting. You don't want to go back to the things. You think about it and you're ashamed. It brought shame upon you when you were sinning uh, against God in rebellion against him. Uh, things that were detestable. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The reign of sin Condemnation and death. Ultimately, it will lead to death in this life and eternal death uh, in, the, in the next, at the, at the final judgment. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, to obedience, to God, uh, have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there's a change of one reign, one dominion, one master, from death to life, and now here, from slavery uh, to sin and uncleanness, unrighteousness, uh, to slavery to obedience, to righteousness, to God, uh, ultimately, if you're a slave to, to obedience, obedience to whom? To God. Righteousness to God. Uh, to, to, uh, to God. It's what he works in his people. And very important, uh, and the, the end of, of these, uh, these things, uh, looking, looking to uh, the same grace that justifies, sanctifies, and will ultimately glorify uh, in, in the, the end. And uh, and so they have this hope of eternal life uh, to which uh, they uh, look, look forward to when they uh, reign uh, with Christ for, uh, for uh, ever, uh, evermore. And, uh, and there's even, uh, even reward uh, for the, uh, the grace uh, that he works out uh, in them. He'll, he'll even con- commend them. Well, well, well done, my, my good and faithful, faithful servant. It's all of grace, but... Uh, but, but grace, uh, grace actually leads to a people who uh, trust uh, in, in Christ and uh, to uh, people who, uh, who, uh, who serve Christ and, and love and serve uh, his, uh, his people. Uh, yeah? I just see in that last paragraph the, the whole idea of free will. We were free yeah. before we came to Christ what we wanted basically <laughs> yeah. you know as far as but but when when the Lord saved us he he changed our hearts and I, mm-hmm. I love this word mm-hmm. you know he gives thanks to God for that for the heart to become obedient to to the things of God thanks be to God 
So it's nothing of our own doing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a change of heart that God has created in us from, you know, from the whole salvation. From that. Absolutely. Imputed righteousness of Christ. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just, we, you always hear people say, well, you know, the, the ones that, that kind of are big on the free will aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you sure are free to do whatever you want. But. <laughs> You're, you're, you can't come to Christ. Yeah, you're you're free in regard yes. to obedience, to righteousness, uh, to to God, but you're a slave to sin, bondage of of the will. The one the one who sins is a slave of sin, as Christ said. Uh, your father, you know the the devil. He's the uh, the the father father of lies, and you lie uh, just like him. The one who sins is a slave of sin. Oh, we're free men. We're Abraham's sons. You know, we're, we're sons of God. Well, then why do, why do you sin? Why do you disbelieve the one and uh, not obey the, the one whom he's, whom he's sent? Uh, and yeah, very, the contrast at the, at the end, what you were just saying. Uh, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The slave language. I remember John MacArthur came out with a book, Slave, uh, over... Over the front, uh, God is now uh, our uh, our master, and we 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 serve uh, we serve uh, Him, and He's He's a good and holy and, and righteous uh, righteous master who redeems uh, His uh, His people. Uh, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Wages, you get what you earn, death. Uh, the wages of sin and rebellion against God, you get what you earn, uh, what you deserve, uh, what you have earned and stored up for yourself, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Everything that proceeds, this is all uh, a free a free gift, our life, our freedom uh, in uh, Christ, uh, slavery to obedience, righteousness uh, in life. Uh, it's all uh, the free gift of God. Not wages, not something we've earned, not something that we ourselves can take credit for, but it's all the work of God uh, in his son. Uh, and it's, it's all by, uh, by turning uh, from, from our sins, our rebellion, seeking to enter into the kingdom on our terms, by our good deeds, our own idols, uh, to uh, turn to, to God and, and to, to trust in Christ and his finished, perfect work uh, on, on the cross. And so, looks like we're, we're out of time. And so throughout this section, as he's showing the implications of the... Uh, the going from one reign brought from the first man whom God set over the earth as his, as his steward, uh, as really, uh, as uh, even Luke says, uh, he was the first son, uh, the one that God created uh, and, and gave uh, honor, glory, uh, and inheritance uh, to rule over the earth on, on his, uh, his behalf. But he sinned and brought the reign of sin, condemnation, and death 
which spread to all of humanity, but Christ, the man from, from heaven, not the earth, not the dust, uh, he, he comes, and by his work, he brings the reign of uh, grace uh, and righteousness uh, and life, which undoes the old reign uh, and will bring in uh, God's reign uh, and rule uh, for, forever for all of his adopted sons and daughters uh, in Christ who will reign and rule with him. And then, uh, and then uh, seeing here, uh, just uh, addressing these objections that could be raised, these misunderstandings, shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Uh, doesn't understand grace. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Now he's going to pick this up and pivot and show more about that we're not under the law, but we've been freed from the law uh, to belong to another, uh, to him who's been raised from the dead, uh, to Jesus Christ, so we may bear fruit to God and serve not the old way of the written code, but the new way of the flesh. And that's uh, what chapter 7 uh, is going to be concerned about going uh, into uh, to 8 and uh, uh, the role of uh, the Torah uh, as a law covenant. And so let's just close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, for your uh, apostle Paul and uh, for redeeming him, uh, the, the, the very chief of sinners. Uh, and if he's the chief of sinners, then we're, we're his uh, right-hand man. Uh, I certainly am. And uh, we thank you uh, for, for him and uh, thank you that uh, by your spirit uh, you spoke uh, through, through your apostle to the Gentiles to uh, reveal uh, the good news to us, the good news of your son, uh, that we might uh, one day uh, reign with him and that we might have hope and trust in you, in your glory, and even in the midst of our present sufferings. Uh, because of the grace and righteousness and life that's in him. And I pray that you would uh, finish the, the good work that you have begun uh, in, in us, uh, in, in all who uh, trust, uh, trust in you and in all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I uh, pray that uh, you would uh, bring it uh, to its end and its fullness and that we might uh, enter uh, into your presence and uh, be well pleasing to you in your son. So we give uh, you and your son uh, all glory and thanks and pray in his name. Amen.